All right, very good. Glad to see you today, of course, and we're happy that you're here with us. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2. Gospel of Mark in chapter 2. So if you would like to, if you have your Bible there, or there's one in the pew there, certainly it's a black book sitting next to the hymn books there uh, that uh, is uh, a Bible if you don't have one with you this morning. Gospel of Mark and chapter 2. We're going to begin to read in verse 23. Gospel of Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and then we'll read up to uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. So verse, chapter 2, verse 23, to chapter 3 and verse 6. Now it happened that as he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You know, you can just pause right there and think, So why are the Pharisees watching them walk around by a field of grain? Well, because they're spying on them everywhere they go. They're spying on them, trying to find something they can accuse Jesus of. So they're just walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, and actually the roads and the pathways went through the grain fields. You didn't, it wasn't just on roads they cut across here. There were pathways all over the place through grain fields. And so they're walking through, and they begin to pluck the heads of grain, and the, and the Pharisees, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which was not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some to those who were with him. And he said, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And as he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I know that all of you recognize that as the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. The rest of Genesis chapter 1 describes the six days of creation in which we see the true and living God, uh, that, that the true and living God brought into existence everything that we see around us. The earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of animal life, everything. The beginning of chapter 2 in Genesis tells us that after six days of creating, God was finished creating, so he ended his work and he rested on the seventh day. Chapter 2 goes on to say of Genesis that God blessed the day of rest and he sanctified it, meaning he set it apart as sacred or holy. So thus God established a principle for life 
to work six days and rest one day. One day a week was a sanctified day, a holy day, as God had ordained at the end of creation week. Many, many centuries later, after the worldwide flood, after the confusion of the languages at the Tower of Babel, after God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, after the children of Israel were in Egypt, after the exodus from Egypt led by Moses, God gave to Moses a set of written laws uh, that the children of Israel were to follow. We are looking at those in our Bible study hour today. The most famous or well-known part of that set of laws we call the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word, in fact, uh, that, that same thought there, to work six days, rest one day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Hebrew word Shabbat, uh, which we translate as Sabbath, means, means to cease, to end, to rest. God commanded the Israelites to observe the Sabbath rest as a holy day to the Lord and not to do ordinary work as a reminder of what God did at creation week and as a way to honor him as he was the one who made the day holy. Now when Moses restated the law to the new younger generation who were about to enter Canaan, over in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he also added the thought that the Sabbath was to remind them of their days as slaves in Egypt when they never had any days to rest. So resting on this holy day honored the Lord for what he had done also in delivering them from bondage in Egypt. So the Sabbath... From that time up through the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, what was an essential part of the law of Moses. It was listed right in there with the Ten Commandments. It was listed right in there with lying and cheating and stealing and adultery and murder. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But over the centuries, as human beings often do, many additional restrictions were added to the Sabbath. In fact, writings by the rabbis interpreted this, this command by listing 39 different kinds of activities that were outlawed on the Sabbath. All the law of Moses said was, don't work. Some passages add the word ordinary, don't do any ordinary work. In other words, don't do your ordinary, normal work. It doesn't give any kind of particular detailed description. It was just supposed to be a different kind of day. A day of rest, a day of recuperation, a day of recovery, a day of restoration of the body and mind and soul, a day to honor the Lord. But the Pharisees and the scribes have, had developed all kinds of things that actually made the Sabbath the worst day of the week, literally. They, they made the Sabbath the worst day of the week. Now, there's a fellow named Alfred Edersheim who's long since passed away, but he had wrote a classic book about 60, 70 years ago called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's a great book. It's about that thick. I've got it on my shelf at home. And he, he did some marvelous work in researching this from Jewish writings. For example, on the Sabbath day, you couldn't travel more than 3,000 feet. Some say you couldn't go more than 1,999 steps. If you took... 2,000 steps, you violated the Sabbath. Now, of course, this would be from Friday when the sun goes down to Saturday when the sun goes down. The only way you could go further than 3,000 feet is if you put some food 1,999 steps away from you on Friday before the Sabbath. But then on the Sabbath, you could walk and get the food, and then you still had another 1,999 steps to come back, and you wouldn't violate the Sabbath. 
Now, wherever there were narrow streets in the city, you could take a piece of wood or a piece of rope, and you could stretch it across the entrance uh, from, uh, of, uh, of the street between all of the houses on either side. And you could make that street look like an entrance to a house, so then you could go another 3,000 feet, or another 1,999 steps beyond that, or you could go back and forth to your friends' houses that were all on that street, because you technically hadn't left your house if you put up the rope to connect the houses across the street. We figure out all kinds of ways to get around everything, don't we? The Talmud, a writing of the collection of the rabbis, compiled several hundred years after Christ, contained 24 chapters of Sabbath laws. Some of these traditions were in place during the time of Christ, but were written down a number of, of generations later. But I'm thinking, 24 chapters of Sabbath laws? All God said was, don't do ordinary work! Some of these crazy laws are this. Nothing could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig. Or half a fig if you carried it twice. <laughs> a tailor could not carry his needle. A scribe could not carry his pen. A student could not carry his books. No clothing could be examined lest you might find a bug and kill it, and killing, and killing the bug would be work. Wool couldn't be dyed. Nothing could be sold, nothing could be bought, nothing could be washed, no fire could be lit. Cold water could be poured on warm water, but warm water couldn't be poured on cold water. An egg could not be boiled. You could not bathe because if the water fell off of you, it might fall on the floor, and if you wiped it up, that was work. If a candle was lit, you couldn't put it out. If a candle wasn't lit, you couldn't light it. That's why they lit candles right before sundown, so they had light through, through the night there. Chairs couldn't be moved. This will drive you ladies crazy. Women couldn't look in a mirror lest they find a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. <laughs> Women couldn't wear jewelry because jewelry weighs more than a dried fig. Uh, a, a, a radish couldn't be left in salt because it might pickle it and pickling veggies is work. It goes on and on and on and on. You could only use enough ink for two letters, not two written letters like two friendly letters, but two letters of the alphabet. No sowing, no plowing, no reaping, no binding sheaves, no threshing, no winnowing, no sifting, no grinding, no kneading, no baking, no washing wool, no dyeing wool, no spinning wool, no making threads, no weaving threads, no separating threads, no tying a knot, no untying a knot, no sewing two stitches, on and on and on. You talk about heavy burdens. The system was so oppressive. And it was all so unscriptural and so ungodly and so unkind, the scribes and Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into the worst day of the week. And all God said was, don't do ordinary work. Just make it a different kind of day to honor me. We saw last week that Jesus told the Pharisees very openly that they could not mix what he was teaching with what they were teaching. Jesus was not an add-on to their existing religious system. He did not come to reform Old Testament Judaism. He came to replace it with Himself. He came preaching repentance and faith. He came not to reform religion, but to replace religion with a relationship with Him. You know, we live in a very religious world. Almost everybody has some kind of spirituality. 
But when you boil it all down to its very foundation, all you basically have are two choices. You have Jesus Christ or you have religion. Even many religious systems with the Christian label are more religion than they are Christ. When you talk to people about the Lord, you realize so many people out there think that you relate to God by being nice and trying to be good. They have respect for the Bible. They understand some of its teachings. But, but the common opinion is this. If I obey, if I perform, if I keep this list of things that God wants, that I think God wants me to do, then God will accept me. If I, if I obey, God accepts me. But you know what the gospel teaches? The gospel teaches that through faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross, I am accepted by God. Therefore, I will obey. I don't obey. I don't try to perform to make God accept me. I realize that through Christ, I am accepted by God. Therefore, I will obey. Works-based religion says, if I obey, I'll be accepted. Gospel-based faith says, through Christ I am accepted, therefore I'll obey. You see, the Pharisees believed that they would be saved by being better than other people. That's what you see in the story I mentioned last week about the Pharisee and the tax collector. In fact, I want to look at that if we could today. We mentioned it last week. I want to look at it this week. Luke chapter 18. Just a few pages over from where you are there in Mark. Luke chapter 18. Just, just a few verses. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 9. And he spoke this parable to some, and notice how he phrases, some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. What's he do? Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the people who think, if I perform, God accepts me. So I am going to try to be better than everybody else to make sure that God accepts me. And Jesus speaks his parable exactly to these two people who think they're righteous and they despised others. Two men, he says, went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And notice he's not praying to God, he's praying to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, that's what we mentioned last week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar and off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Just stay right there for just a second. But just think about that. Of course, if we, we who are truly following Jesus Christ, when you read this passage, you realize that that is just blatant self-righteousness. We are not forgiven by Jesus because we are better than the guy down the street. We are not forgiven by the Lord Jesus because we're better than the person sitting across the row from us in church. We are not forgiven by the Lord Jesus because we're better than anybody. Because we're not better than anybody. We pray like the tax collector. Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. 
You see, the Pharisees believed they'd be saved by being better than other people. They also liked to use the law to assure themselves that they were good. They did all these rituals and all these ceremonies to feel good about themselves. Uh, and when really, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law, three purposes of the law at least, one was to reveal the holiness of God. Secondly, was it to show us what God expected of His people. And then thirdly, to cause us to realize that we are incapable of keeping it perfectly. Uh, the law was designed to point us to Jesus to humble us, to make us realize that we desperately need the Lord. Yet in their self-righteousness, the Pharisees were trying to use the law to assure themselves that they were good. Look just a few years, still there in Luke 18, and I look down at verse 18. Here's another interesting story. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And look what he says. All these things I have kept from my youth. You'd like to say, Liar. Liar, liar, liar. Who has kept every single commandment perfectly their whole life? Nobody. You know, he probably didn't murder anybody, but steal, bear false witness. He always honored his father, always, every day. All these things I have kept from my youth, he says. So when Jesus heard these things, he said, Great, I mean, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. What did Jesus tell the guy? Jesus came right to the point of what he was trusting. Because, see, the Pharisees liked to use the law to, to assure themselves that they were good. And they did all these rituals and ceremonies to feel good about themselves. And there, oh, I could tell you, there are just... That the world is filled with people today who are doing exactly the same thing. We do all sorts of nice religious things to feel good about ourselves, to tell ourselves how good we are, so that God, God certainly should accept me. And so Jesus says, oh, you certainly haven't committed murder, that's great. You haven't committed adultery, that's great. Honored your father. Okay, I tell you what, just give away everything you got. Come and follow me. Give it all to the poor. You'll have great riches in heaven. The guy goes, I, I can't do that because say I'm, I'm very, very wealthy. So I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't give away. I can't give away everything that I have worked for all these years. Oh no, I can't do that. So what's Jesus saying? He's not loving his neighbor as himself, is he? And none of us do. You see, the purpose of the law is to reveal the holiness of God and to make us realize we are incapable of keeping it perfectly. The law was designed to point us to Jesus Christ and to humble us and to make us realize that we desperately need the Lord. And yet in all of their self-righteousness, the Pharisees were trying to use the law to assure themselves they were good. So back to Mark chapter 2. Jesus kind of locks horns. I mean, he goes head to head with the Pharisees on this Sabbath day issue. 
As I said, the Pharisees had turned this day into the worst day of the week. And it was supposed to be a blessed day of the week. Jesus says, I'm not trying to reform the fake religion that you created. This system of works with Bible verses sprinkled on top of it to make it look nice. He said, I, I am throwing your system out and I am replacing it with the truth. I am replacing it with me. And he makes that tremendous statement, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I know all this ridiculous foolishness that you've added to it and all this self-righteous wickedness that you've turned the Sabbath into. The Sabbath was made for man's benefit and you have corrupted it and made it the worst day of the week. Now what the disciples were doing was not a violation of the Old Testament law. When they walked through the field and they pulled off some heads of grain, Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, If you are traveling past a field of standing grain and you are hungry, you could use your hand and break off some heads of the grain to eat. You can't use a sickle and start doing your own little harvest of your neighbor's grain, but you can break off some heads of grain with your hand and you can eat it if you're hungry. That was not ordinary work. It was not a violation of the law of Moses, but of course the Pharisees were looking for anything they could find to try to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ. So they accuse him. They see them plucking the heads of grain. Why? Why are they, why are they working on the Sabbath day? And Jesus responds with a story from King David. We won't read the story. It's in 1 Samuel 21 if you want to look at it sometime. You can, you can check it out. 1 Samuel 21. It's the first six or eight verses. Daniel, or Saul rather, is, 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 sorry, David is running for his life from Saul. And he's hungry. He comes to the tabernacle just outside Jerusalem. He asks the priest for bread. The priest says, we don't have any except the holy bread, the, the 12 loaves of bread that were on the table in the tabernacle. They changed him out every Sabbath day with 12 new loaves. The 12 loaves represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and the priests would then eat the old loaves. That was the only bread that was available. And so the priest, because David was hungry, he gave him five of those 12 loaves for himself and his young soldiers, whom he was going to meet up with at a certain place. You see, the bread was only supposed to be for the tabernacle priests. But the priest gave part of it to David because he was hungry. And so Jesus basically says to the Pharisees, you guys just don't get it, do you? You want people to starve on the Sabbath? That's not what the Sabbath is about. They're not doing anything that violates the law. They're just violating your man-made restrictions. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he says. And if I say they can hand-pluck some heads of grain, they can hand-pluck some heads of grain. Now you might think, whoa, I mean, Jesus is being very confrontational there. Yes, he is. Jesus was gentle and gracious and merciful with people who had the humility to recognize their sin. But he was exactly the opposite with the self-righteous, heavy-handed, oppressive religious leaders who made life miserable for people. And don't miss what Jesus is implying. When he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying he's God. He made the Sabbath. He ordained the Sabbath. He is Lord over the Sabbath. I am the creator, Jesus is saying. The Sabbath was made for man. Therefore, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, just like I'm the Lord over everything else that I made. 
I am the sovereign of this day. I designed this day. I'm the interpreter of the will of God for this day. You do not rule the Sabbath, he says to the Pharisees. You do not set the standards for behavior on the Sabbath. I do, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now Mark doesn't record for us the response of the Pharisees, but I imagine they had no response. They just stood there looking at it. And the reason I think that is because of the very next incident that either happened that day or maybe the following Sabbath. Jesus enters the synagogue. And there's a man there with a withered up crippled hand. The Pharisees are just watching. I bet, I bet he's going to try to heal him. I'll see if he's going to heal him. Let's watch and see if he's going to heal him. And, and, and while, while this is going on, I mean, this is really interesting. Let me turn my page. Verse 2 of chapter 3, they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he, Jesus, he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Jesus sees them watching him. He knows the guy, there's probably, there's probably 100 people there. He knows the guys back there with, with the withered hand. Hey, you with the withered hand in the back, come up here. You guys watching? You watching? Huh? You watching, Mr. Pharisee over here? You watching? Hey, come over. You got the the wither hand. Come up here. You know about confrontation? That's bigger confrontation than going through the grain field. The guy with the withered hand didn't say, Oh, Lord, will you please heal me? He's just sitting back there in the crowd. And Jesus calls him out. Come up here, he says. Step, step forward. And then he looks at the Pharisees. He knows what they're watching and thinking. And he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they kept silent. Why? Because they knew they, they knew he was going to heal him, and they couldn't say anything. They didn't want to incriminate themselves. And this is kind of a fascinating thing to me as I was reading through this. Because I see verse 5, When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And of course he healed it. Just an interesting thought here that Jesus is angry, which means the word here means indignant and disgusted. And he is also grieved. He is brokenhearted. That's just an interesting combination of emotions for the Lord Jesus. Angry and grieved. He's angry at wickedness and he's brokenhearted because of it. I, you know, I've actually been there, and I think many of you probably have as well. Someone you know, someone you love, starts making really stupid choices, and it's wrecking their life, and you can see it, and they, and they keep going down the same foolish path, and they won't listen, and, and, and you are angry and grieved at the same time. On the one hand, you want to grab them and shake them, and at the same time, you want to hug them and cry over them and plead with them to change course and stop making these stupid choices. Angry and grieved all at the same time. That's the way Mark describes Jesus. Jesus looks at them and he's so disgusted with these Pharisees. And what are they doing? And, they, and, and at the same time, he says he is brokenhearted. He is grieved because of their wickedness and, and, and because of the hardness of their hearts. And Jesus asked them a question that they refused to answer. They know the answer. They just refused to give the answer because it would ruin their plot. I want you to hold your finger here for a second and look at Isaiah chapter 1. 
We'll be back here to here in just a second. Isaiah chapter 1. And what we're kind of developing and thinking about here is this issue of Jesus being angry and grieved. Because God has always hated hypocritical religion. He always has. God has always looked to issues of the heart. He has always looked to kind-hearted obedience to His will. God has always hated hypocritical religion. And look what happens here, Isaiah chapter 1, as Isaiah is, is uh, kind of developing his thoughts for his entire book. Start to read in verse 10, if you would, with me. Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And when he calls them, you people of Gomorrah, he's talking about the children of Israel. Sodom and Gomorrah are long gone destroyed. Jesus says, or God says to them, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Look at verse 12. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the way they're keeping the Sabbath, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Now that God says to them, you are coming to do these holy, sacred things to me and your hearts are filled with iniquity. And he says, I can't stand it. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then those famous verses, come now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, I hate hypocritical religion. And that's the word God uses. He said, all of your Sabbath meetings and all your sacred assemblies, He said, my soul hates that stuff. They're a trouble to me. I'm weary of putting up with you. He said, your hands are full of blood and you come to the temple and you pray and you bring these offerings and you offer all these sacrifices and you're living wicked lives. And He said, I'm sick of it. So you can understand why Jesus... There in the New Testament, looking at the Pharisees and realizing those incredible, ridiculous, burdensome things they piled on everybody on the Sabbath day. And he looks at them and he calls the man with the withering, come up here for a second. Look those, just looks at them with anger and grief. Just like God did in Isaiah chapter 1. He's grieved by the hardness of their hearts because God hates hypocritical religion. He hates this outward show of all this supposedly good moral stuff and in their hearts they're dark and wicked and ungodly. See, the Pharisees are so hard-hearted and self-righteous and after Jesus heals the man's hand, look back here if you would at, at Mark chapter 3. 
This is just, I mean, this is just astounding. He heals the man's hand, and look at verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. He heals the man's hand, and the Pharisees begin to plot how they can kill him. And I thought, you know, isn't it interesting that it's on the Sabbath still, and they're plotting to commit murder. On the Sabbath day, they're plotting to commit murder. Boy, talk about hypocritical religion. And, and, and who are the Herodians? I mean, they're just mentioned here. They, they plot with the Herodians against them. They might destroy them. Who, who are they? Where, where do they fit in? Well, the, the, the Herodians were distant relatives of the Jews, but they were basically secular politicians who were loyal to Rome. And 99% of the time, the Pharisees hated them. They did not get along with them all. They, they despised them for being secular, meaning non-religious. They, they despised them for being political sellouts to Rome. Ah, but when you're so deranged by hatred that you're blind to the truth that's right in front of you, you make all sorts of alliances that you would never ordinarily do. Here you got Pharisees and Herodians, long-time enemies who usually despise each other, who are suddenly allies in their plots to kill the Lord Jesus. As the old saying goes, politics makes strange bedfellows. Self-righteous works-based religion has absolutely nothing in common with the way of the Lord Jesus. The way of the Lord Jesus is the way of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And I want to close with you today with a beautiful passage from Matthew chapter 11 that fits exactly what we're talking about. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11 and we will wind up with this short verse today. Interestingly, chapter 12, the first 14 verses, records exactly the stories that we just studied in the Gospel of Mark. The parallel passage in Matthew's is first 14 verses of chapter 12. It's just what we read in Mark 2 and 3. But, but Jesus says something, and when, and when you understand what he says in chapter 11, in the context of all these oppressive ridiculous burdens that the Pharisees had pile on people for the Sabbath and everything else, then you understand a little bit more about the way of the Lord Jesus. Look, look what he says in verse 28, right at the end of the chapter, 28, 29, and 30. Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who is he talking to? He's talking to people who are so burdened down by all these Sabbath regulations that they can't even keep up with what the Pharisees think they're supposed to be doing. Made the Sabbath the worst day of the week. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor under heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It is a yoke. You are yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a relationship issue. It's just like, just like two oxen, you put a yoke on them to pull a plow. Jesus says, take my yoke. Join my team, he basically says. Get connected to me. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What he's teaching is the exact opposite of what the Pharisees were doing to everybody. Jesus said, you can't stand all this oppressive 
self-righteous, works-based religious stuff. Okay, he says, come to me. Put my yoke on you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, the way of the Lord Jesus Christ is the way of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus says, you are feeling oppressed and crushed by the demands of, of overbearing works-based religions. Great. Come to me. Get in my yoke. Yes, it's a yoke. Yes, you're connected to me. <clears throat> yes, you, there's some, there are some things that I'm asking of you. There are things that I require of you. But, but I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your soul, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you come to Jesus? Are you, are you yoked to Him? It is a yoke of relationship. It is a yoke of service. But it's also a yoke of peace and a yoke of rest for your soul. Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we are surrounded by so many of our friends and loved ones who are still wrapped up in self-righteous, works-based religion. So many things they're trying to live up to. So many things they're trying to achieve. And yes, Lord, you're a holy God. You demand holiness of us. You request holiness of us. You tell us how to live. You, you tell us what you want us to do. But Lord, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you give us rest for our souls. You give us peace and forgiveness and joy and comfort. When we struggle, you're there with us. When we fail, you pick us up. Your yoke is a yoke of forgiveness and mercy and compassion and blessing. And Lord, so many of our friends and loved ones, their, their, their lives are empty because they're trying to live up to something they know they can't live up to. Lord, I'm so thankful to be yoked with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to go wherever you lead me. I want to learn from you. You are gentle and lowly in heart. I pray, Father, you'd help us to be the same way. Lord, as we bow before you, remembering again, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You made it for us. And Lord, I'm just grateful to, to have a Savior who is holy and righteous and pure, but is also merciful and forgiving and compassionate. May we be able to lead our friends and loved ones to a place where they will also find rest for their souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grab your hymn book, please, and look at 494.